keep working on that stuff, you're going to get pretty good with it. <laughs> Wasn't that great? Thank you so much for blessing us. Yeah, give them a hand. Helping us worship, helping us get ready for God's Word. I'm glad you're here this morning. Take your Bibles and open up to the book of Judges, chapter 6. Now, we're back in a series that we began. I began with you back in the fall. told you I was going to do this. We've been in a, a kind of a mini-series here to begin the new year. But I want us to go back. I have a few more messages I want to share with you from the series that we've called God is Up to Something Big. And if you recall, when we begin this, the theme that God is up to something big is is uh, that that God is always working. It is a fact. He's always working, and He's working when you can see Him. He's working when you can't see Him. God never takes a vacation. He never takes a break, and uh, you may not initially understand what God is doing, but God is always working. God is up to something big. It is His eternal plan, and you and I are a part of that eternal plan. But now let me, this morning, you'll notice the topic or the title of the message is how little people do big things. And you'll understand that, I think, in just a few moments when we look at our text. But let me define for you this morning what I mean by doing big things for God. Because a lot of people think, well, big things for God, I don't think there's anything big that I could really do. Well, let me define big for you in God's eyes. The big thing in your life for God is whatever it is that God wants you to do, all right? That's the big thing, because that is the will of God for your life. And if you remember in this series, I've told you repeatedly that the will of God is the most important thing in the universe, right? Y'all remember we talked about that? The will of God is the most important thing in the universe. And the most important thing in your life is doing the will of God. Now, God's will is going, listen, to be done. It's going to be done. But you have an opportunity, and that's exactly what it is. You've been put on this planet with an opportunity to do the will of God, to be a part of this big plan that God has that will one day culminate. And uh, so, you doing God's will. God's will for you is the most important thing in your life. And the key for each of us is to simply understand that fact and to be available for his use and for his glory. The great devotional writer Oswald Chambers said this, if you are going to be used by God, he will take you through a multitude of experiences, listen to this, that are not meant for you at all, but they are meant to make you useful to God. In other words, God will take you through experiences that aren't so much about you as much as they are about Him using you uh, to make a difference. One of the things that believers often struggle with is the idea that they can be used by God uh, to make uh, a difference. And I'm convinced that there are two things that the devil loves to do uh, to uh, keep us from being useful to God. He, 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 I think he has two approaches. One is to make us feel small or insignificant. Would you agree with that? Well, God can't use me. Uh, who am I in the scheme of God's great plans? And so I think the devil will sometimes try to, to make us feel small or insignificant. But if he can't make you feel small or insignificant, listen to this, he'll make you feel big and indispensable. 
He'll fill you up with pride and make you feel big and uh, uh, indispensable. Both of these approaches are wrong, and we have to understand that. God doesn't think you're uh, a small and insignificant, and uh, at the same time, you better be careful not to become too, too big and believing that you are indispensable. The fact is, God doesn't have to have us. It's a privilege that we get to be a part of His big plan. Does that make sense? Say amen. I love the story about some little boys. You know how little boys are. They, they form clubs, you know. These little boys formed a club. And they said, we're going to have one rule in this club. Here's the rule. One rule in our club. Nobody act big. Nobody act small. Everybody act medium. I said, that's the rule. And this morning, I want to talk with you about how God can use us if we understand who he is and who we are and what he's designed to us for. You know, Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians. He said, God has chosen what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. Isn't it interesting? God often takes what the world calls small, what the world says, that's foolish. And God takes that and he uses it to accomplish his purpose and his will. What a privilege it is to be a part of that. And so I want us to look at a story, a story you're familiar with. It's the story of Gideon. I bet most of you are familiar with the story of Gideon. I'm going to break into it, okay? I'll give you some of it along the way. But it's a lengthy story. But if you haven't read the whole story of Gideon, go back in Judges and read this story about, uh, uh, about Gideon. But I'm going to break in. And I want to show you how God used somebody who everybody else, including Gideon, thought of himself as small and inadequate and how God used him to bring deliverance. God does big things through small people. If you're physically able to do so, stand with me as we read our text in Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 25. It says, that night the Lord said to him, that is Gideon, the Lord said to Gideon, take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altars of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold uh, here with stones laid in due order. And then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of the Asherah that you shall cut down. And so Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the passage, the story, the life of Gideon. Now teach us from it, Father. Instruct us and how we can be used by you to do and accomplish your will and your purposes for your kingdom. Lord, now would you anoint my words. Father, would you uh, use them, Father, to accomplish your purpose in this time as we listen and we are listening, Father, for you to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Now, one of the most popular stories, probably in the Old Testament, this story of Gideon, and again, we're just taking the first, this is the initial part of the story. It gets more intense if you, as you go along, and so that's why I'd urge you to go back and read the whole story about how Gideon will eventually uh, deliver uh, Manasseh, one of the uh, half-tribes of Israel, from, uh, from the Midianites who had become their captors. And so it's a very popular story. God used him. He would 
uh, accomplish something that was uh, terribly important to the well-being, the spiritual well-being of Israel. And if you go back earlier in the passage that we just read, if you go back earlier, what you'll discover is that that Gideon is in hiding. His family's in hiding. Everybody's just trying to eke out a living is what it amounts to. And, and he's, the Bible tells us he's, he's threshing grain, and he's threshing grain in a, in a place, in a barn, in a place that he wouldn't normally do it, but he's doing that to hide the grain that they're, the wheat that they're threshing so they'll have it and the Midianites won't come and take it from them, which was, had become a, a common. So, so you would produce a crop and the the Midian, Midianites who controlled uh, or really uh, uh, dominated the, the, uh, the uh, Israelites would come and say, okay, I want X amount of your crops. And they would take most of it and leave the Israelites with just a little bit. So Gideon's in hiding. He's threshing weight, trying to, to, um, uh, uh, to keep it from the Midianites. All right, And when, while he's there, an angel of the Lord comes and speaks to him and uh, tells him, I want you to do something. Here's where I want you to start. Now, you all know, do, do you know the story about the fleeces that Gideon put out the fleeces? Y'all, you know, are you familiar with that story? Well, that's the second half of this story. We're talking about the first part of it. And the first part is the messenger of God comes to Gideon and says, I, I want you to do something. I want you to go and I want you to tear down the pagan altars. This is the first step. I want you to turn down the pagan altars. There's an altar to Baal. There's an altar to Asherah. And listen, it was not uncommon for families to have their own worship altars. That's still a good thing if it's the right God. Hello? And, they, and his dad had uh, these pagan uh, uh, altars for the family to worship at. One was to Baal, who was uh, the supreme god of the Canaanites. That was the God above all the other gods to them. And they had many gods. And the other was Asherah. That was, well, Asherah was the fertility goddess and mother of Baal. And, uh, and by the way, the, the Old Testament gives us no real description. It was just a wooden object of some sort. We don't know what it was, but we have no Old Testament description of Asherah. Uh, but these two were their their primary worship altars and so uh, uh, all of the Israelites had succumbed to paganism by the way that tells you what happens to a nation when they forget who the real God is sooner or later paganism takes over hello and so but the families this was a customary thing they had their own uh, altars and so God comes to to uh, get in or through the angel and says go tear down your father's altars now think about that Go tear down your father's pagan altars. Um, and uh, so Gideon does. He, he does exactly what, um, what he should. But Gideon first is kind of like, um, he's kind of like Moses. You remember when God spoke to Moses and said, Moses, I want you to go do this and deliver my people. And Moses began to make the excuses. Y'all remember that? I can't do it. I don't speak well. You know, who am I to go and do this sort of thing? Well, that's kind of the story of Gideon. His first response is he says, he says look, God, uh, who am I to do this? My clan's the weakest in Manasseh, he says, and I'm the least in my father's house. In other words, I'm not qualified for this task. But God does something, verses 16, verses 34, which we didn't read, but God does something in both of those uh, verses. He tells Gideon, I'm going to be with you. I have called you to this. I'm going to be with you. 
And, um, and from this story, there are some plain lessons on how God can use us and how God can, can do and accomplish whatever it is through us that is for his good and for our good. And so I want to show you these five lessons this morning. Number one, lesson number one, or the first thing I want you to see is that we must listen up. Verse 25, that night the Lord said to him, that is Gideon, the Lord spoke to him. And, uh, and, and so he, he heard and, uh, what God said. If you, want to be, if you want God to be able to use you, you've got to start there. You've got to listen up. And it, this is the lesson that teaches us, quite simply, to pay attention. Are y'all paying attention? Pay attention. This is what this lesson is about. Why? Because God is always working, right? I believe we miss out on what God is doing a lot of times because God is active all the time. And we miss out on that a lot of times simply because we're really not listening. And by listening, you know, I, I mean being aware. Hearing, you know, but being aware. Jesus said, he that has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, that sounds kind of odd, I guess, if you don't understand what Jesus is saying. But what Jesus is saying, hearing is more than just taking information in. Hearing is observing, it's watching, it's listening, and all of that. And the first thing uh, that you and I must learn from this story, I think, is we have to listen up. President Franklin D. Roosevelt got tired of standing in lines at White House events and greeting people with a big smile, shaking their hands, and saying the perfunctory kinds of things, good to see you, good to see you, glad you're here, uh, thank you for coming, I uh, hope you have a great evening. He, he was so tired of, of that sort of process, so, and, because he didn't think people were really listening, you know. He just thought they were just coming through to shake the president's hand and, and, and go on. And so he decided on one evening that he was going to find out whether anybody was paying attention to what he was saying. And uh, as each person came up to him and extended their hand, he flashed a big smile. And this is what he said, I murdered my grandmother this morning. <laughs> and people would automatically respond with comments such as, how appropriate. How lovely, Mr. President. Nobody was listening to what he was really saying, except for one foreign diplomat and when the president said, I murdered my grandmother this morning, the diplomat looked around, responded back and said, Mr. President, I'm sure she had it coming. <laughs> well, you know, the problem today is not that God is not speaking, but rather that we often are really not listening or looking to see what he's up to. And it's not the Lord who is not speaking. The fact is, it is mostly us who are not hearing. You might say, yeah, yeah, but, but God hasn't sent a messenger to me like he did to Gideon. He's not sent one to speak to me. Listen, let me tell you something. God doesn't need to send an angelic messenger to you or to I because he has already sent to us the living message of Scripture. The question is, are you listening to his word? You have a messenger. We are so fortunate, aren't we? Because we have two things 
that are active all the time in our life as believers. We have the Spirit of God residing in us. Jesus said it's imperative that I go to the Father. If I don't go to the Father, I can't send the Spirit to you. And you need the Spirit if you're going to do what I need you to do or what I've called you to do. So you have the Spirit who, by the way, is the author of the Word of God, which is why the Word of God is unlike any other book ever. You know, the Bible says that the Spirit of God breathed. He breathed the scriptures and so the author lives in you do you think anybody is a better interpreter of the word of God than the spirit of God residing inside of you of course not and so you have the residency of the spirit who is the author of the word so you and I we don't have to have oh God if you'll just drop a messenger into my life God if you'll just send a, 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 an angel uh, with the word for me if you'll just send that God then then I'll pay attention. The fact is, he's already sent a messenger. His name is Jesus Christ. And by the way, we don't have time to talk about it today, but Jesus Christ is the Logos. He is the, the incarnation of the Word of God. It's the idea that, that he was the living, breathing uh, Word of God when he came into this world, he went to the Father. He said, now I'm going to do something. Not only am I going to be with you, but I'm going to put the author inside of you to guide you and to direct you. Wow. So when you read the God, uh, Word of God, do you read it with anticipation? What is he going to say to me? When you read the Scriptures, do you expect God to speak? Is His Word alive to you uh, with, the, with the living truth of God? And if you'll read it and understanding, uh, when you open it up, this is the Word of God. God is speaking through this book. What does God have to say to me? Uh, uh, what needs to be corrected in my life? What needs direction in my life? Or maybe I'm discouraged. I need encouragement. How, well, how can God uh, encourage me? Through the Word of God, through the living Word of God. You say, so how do I become a, a, a good listener to God? Well, let me, let me just quickly give you some things that help you. Number one, start by asking God to speak. Ask Him, God, would you speak? I'm going I'm to read your Word. Would you speak to me? God wants you to know what He thinks. So you ask God, uh, uh, would you speak to me? I, I, I want you. Number two, expect God to speak to you. I've asked him to. Now listen, don't do this. <laughs> don't go, God, would you speak to me? All right. I'm gonna re I really don't think he will, but I'm going to ask him to. Guess what? You have not because you ask not, the Bible says. So when you read, expect God to speak to you. Don't go like this, oh, wow, that's powerful for what's going on in my life. I, I, there's some things that, that teaches me that's going on in my life. Uh, uh, don't go like this. Don't go, what a coincidence. That's not a coincidence. It is the Spirit of God saying, I know what you need. You've, you've had that experience before, haven't you? Where you've opened the Word of God and started reading and saying, wow, God, it's like, how did you know? I have people say this uh, just about every week, not always, but they'll come up and say, Pastor, it's like you knew something I'm dealing with or what I needed to hear. Well, I don't, and I didn't, but he does. 
And he's the author, so he can take his word, and he can use a, a preacher to communicate that word, and you can receive it and go, wow, God, that's, you know, how did you know that, God? Number three, believe what God says. So ask God to speak, expect God to speak, and then believe it when he speaks. Don't say, oh, well, that, 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 couldn't, that couldn't possibly be. Yes. And by the way, when you believe the word, your faith grows. Did you know that? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So start by asking God to speak. Number two, expect God to speak. Number three, believe what God says. And number four, here it is, do what God has said. Look, the, the scripture isn't a, he, a real help to you until you apply it. And one of the reasons God uses it to speak to us is because he wants to, to do something with us or through us or to us. That's why James writes and says, be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. James even says that a person that just hears, they read it and they hear it, but do nothing with it is like a person that goes to a mirror and looks at themselves in a mirror and sees. You, most of y'all, I'm, I'm looking out over this audience, and most of y'all, it appears to me, looked in a mirror before you came to church. Now, some of you, it looks like you didn't pay any attention. <laughs> but most of you, right, you, kind of, you get up, you know, you go in and you go, oh, <clears throat> we got to fix this, right? So you look in a mirror and you do something about it. But you know what James says, that a person that reads the Word of God, you can say, God, speak to me. I'm going to read it. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to expect. And then at the same time, you okay, God spoke. I know what God said. And then you walk away and you do nothing with it. He says, you're like a person that sees themselves in a mirror, recognizes what you need to do to improve the image that you're looking at, but does nothing about it and just walks off. He says, that's what it's like if we, we get all the way through the process with the Word, but we don't do anything with it. So what makes the Word of God dynamic in your life is what you do with it, all right? I remember on a couple of occasions in my own life where God spoke, and I, I want to share that with you in just a moment, that, that, that I had to listen up and I had to obey Him. But the second step is, and this is kind of related to hearing uh, what God has to say, it is, it is to step up. It's to step up. Verse 25 says, not only did the Lord speak to him, told him what to do, told him to, to pull down. This is what you got to do. You got to do something about what he's told you to do. Pull down the altar of Baal. You listen up. That's where you begin. But secondly, you step up. If you, if you want God to be able to accomplish his purpose and you want to be a part of his purpose, then you got to step up at some point in time. This is a lesson about, about obeying God even when the world around you rejects God. And by the way, that's pretty much where you're living today. And this is about us obeying God when, when the world rejects God. This is what God says, I want you to do something. The world has rejected me. Your own family has rejected me in this case. And he says, I want you to do something. I want you to step up and pull down these false uh, altars. And notice verse 27. Notice verse 27 
that it says, and he did as the Lord told him. That's stepping up, okay? But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of town, he did so by night. I, I don't think that's a big deal, but the fact is he knew he, there would be, there would be pr- uh, 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 a price to pay with his own family and with the men of the community and the men of the city. And I, I, when I was preparing this, I thought about Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 10 when he said a person's enemies will be those of his own household. And then he goes on, listen, to make that dramatic statement to his followers. He said, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He wasn't saying disown all of those, but he's saying God trumps everything. Goes back to the wristbands, you know, that we frequently uh, talk about. And again, I just invite you to get one, wear one, God first. God first. That's what Jesus was telling them. And that's what God was saying to Gideon. I'm first. And so you've got to step up. There's something difficult you're going to have to do. And there are three things I think you ought to remember when you step up. Number one, obeying God does not exempt you from criticism. Obeying God will not exempt you for criticism. There are some out there today, I'm afraid, who've communicated a message that says, if you do God's thing, everything will always be smooth sailing for you. That's just not true. It, it hasn't been true. Look, Gideon knew that. He knew if he did what God told him to do, there, were going, there was going to be a price to pay. He's going to have to pay it with his family. He was going to have to pay it with the men of the community. And frankly, he was afraid because he knew stepping up And obeying God would bring consequences. It would bring criticism for sure. Secondly, when when you step up and obey God, it may invoke intense spiritual warfare. Because the devil doesn't want you obeying God, and the devil doesn't want the purposes of God to succeed. Now, he can't stop it, and ultimately he will not, but he's going to fight and fight and fight you and try to t- drag you into spiritual uh, the depths of spiritual conflict. So just understand, a lot of times, I, I, I led a, I led a uh, man in a restaurant some years ago to Christ, and I uh, gave him my phone number, and I told him, you call me. I said, because I want to tell you something. He had, um, the Lord did some miracles and saved his marriage and uh, just some uh, wonderful things, and he began to come to a church that I was an interim at uh, in the Atlanta area, and and he said, uh, but I told him, I said, now his name was Dave. And I said, Dave, listen, I want you to have my number because don't be surprised at the decision you've made if for the, in, in short order, uh, the wheels feel like they're coming off. I said, just don't be surprised at that. I said, the devil is your enemy and he hates what you've done. And uh, God is with you, and he will help you, but just I don't want you to be taken by surprise. He called me a few days later, and he said, he said Ray, he said, he said, man, it's like the floodgates have opened up against me. And, and I said, don't throw in the towel. Don't walk away. The devil is fighting you. You have taken steps that he hates, and he wants to rob you of what God has done and uh, tell you that God can't take you forward. And by the way, he, he got it and, uh, and uh, w- continued to, to go forward with his life. But what I want you to know is when you obey God, don't be stunned if there is intense spiritual warfare in your life. 
And then third, remember that when you step up and obey God, it may put you at odds with other people. You know, most of us, don't, we don't want to be rejected by people. And that, that's, that's normal. We don't want people to reject us. But do you know sometimes when you step up for God, it's going to separate you from people. It might separate you from family members. I hope that doesn't happen. But it could. And this was the case that Gideon was afraid of, wasn't he? That his, his, my family's not going to like this. And they didn't most certainly until Gideon, their son or grandson or relative delivered the entire nation from the captivity they'd been in then he had a to, some, sometimes you just got to wait and watch what God will do but you don't you don't wait to do what God has told you you wait and see what God is going to do through your obedience does that make sense and so obeying God doesn't exempt you from criticism obeying God may invoke spiritual warfare in your life now, obeying God may put you at odds with people around you I told you I remember a couple of occasions in, in, in my ministry where, where I knew God was telling me to lead our church to do a couple of things. I remember, oh gosh, it's been well over a decade ago, I remember when we started the contemporary service here at Ridgecrest. And it was unlike anything we'd ever done before. And I, I, I don't guess I've ever told you this, but, but the Lord began to move on me about that about a year before we ever started it. And frankly, I want to tell you, I balked, and I, I really, I really, I, I had a lot of dialogue with God about God. I, you know, Rich Chris has never done anything like that, and I know there's some people that will be very upset at that. And Lord, I just don't want to. I don't want to have to deal with that. And this conversation. Uh, and God was growing me about these things, and this conversation went on for a while. And I remember, finally, I remember uh, one day I pulled into my garage. God has spoken to me a lot in my garage. It's kind of a holy place. And I remember very clearly God speaking, and this is what he spoke into my heart. He said, when are you going to obey me? And I mean, it was strong. And I remember sitting there in my car saying, okay, God, I'll do it. And you, re you know, the reason I didn't want to do it is I didn't want to have to deal with you people. <laughs> I mean, and, and we lost some people. But I knew God had spoken to do that. But, and, and you know what? All three of those things occurred. I, I was critici criticized. I mean, I, I, there was spiritual warfare that, that ratcheted up in, in my life, and it put me at odds with people that I loved who didn't understand what God had said and didn't want to break out of something that they, they were, were used to. And I, I knew all of that would come. And so what I had to realize was this, the decision wasn't about me. And frankly, listen, it wasn't about you either. It was about what God said to do. And are you going to do it or not? Now, you people don't care because you're not in the contemporary service. See, you're here in this service. But, but I tell you, I wrestled with that. I, I, 
I don't think I've ever told you that, but I, all three of those things God taught me. Look, sometimes when you do what God says, there will be criticism. Uh, critic, there will be spiritual warfare, and you will find yourself at odds with people that you love. I'll tell you this. It happened again. About, gosh, eight or nine years ago, <clears throat> when I, had, I would, had been spending time with the Lord, and I won't go through the whole story, but I knew it was time for us to, to remodel this room. And I had, I had, had sought the Lord, and I had drugged my feet because I thought, if Lord, you know, people aren't going to like that. And, uh, and I have to tell you something. The three things I just mentioned, they got ratcheted up even more than they did about the contemporaries. The criticisms, there were unfair things said about me that were not even based remotely in truth. I was doing a funeral in another outlying county. <laughs> and two ladies from way south, right on the Florida line, were, said, oh, you're Pastor Ray. I said, yeah. And they said, we understand you're about, this. listen, this, we're, you're about to turn Ridgecrest into like a worship warehouse. I said, where did you get that? Oh, somebody in your church told us. I said, it's just not true. And, and this stuff, gosh, on and on. <clears throat> I don't think I've ever told you this before. I'm just being honest. You want me to just be honest with you, don't you? No, pastor lied to us. And that is... <laughs> Why do preachers say that? I'm going to tell you the truth. Why? Have you been lying to us all this other time? <laughs> but in all honesty, I, I've never told you this, but just in a, a bit of, of, of transparency, there were days when I asked God to release me from this work. There were days when I asked God to release me from this work. And, and I don't mean this the way it sounds. But I had, I had a lot of opportunities. And, and uh, I asked him, God, could, would you just release me? But he would not release me. And listen, now that I've said that, don't take, walk out and say, well, he didn't love us. I, I do. I did. But I was trying to carry a burden of obedience without the power to carry it out. And the Lord would do something when I'd ask him, would you release me from this? Let me go do, God, I've got this, let me just go do that. Let me go this. Let me go down here. And the Lord would always take me back to my call here. And he would say, I've called you. I have put you there. And when it is time for you to go, I will tell you. In the meantime, you stay. I am so glad I did. I'm so glad I did. He would always take me back to his word. And from his word, he would speak to my heart. And by the way, and lift that burden. Folks, always go back and say, God, what do you think? 
But my point in telling you that is that if you obey God sometimes in your life, the scales will be different. Don't be surprised that you're criticized. Don't be surprised that spiritual warfare ramps up. Right? Don't be surprised that you become at odds with maybe even people you never thought you'd be at odds with. Just don't be surprised at that. Dr. B.J. Miller said this, and I like what he said. It's helped me many times. It is a great deal easier to do that which God gives us to do, no matter how hard it is, than it is to face the responsibility of not doing it. Did y'all get that? It is a great deal easier to do that which God gives us to do, no matter how hard it is, than it is to face the responsibility of not doing it. Or I would add, or to stand before God and say, yeah, I didn't do that. Because I didn't want to face whatever I might have to face. There are many times when God calls you to step up to the task. Number three, how does God do big things through little people? Well, they've learned to, to lift God up. We must lift him up. Verse 26, what did they do? They tore down the pagan altars and they built altars back to God on top of the hill, on top of the stronghold. They, they, they rebuilt the altar to God. And the lesson here is the lesson of worship. You see, they had stopped worshiping God. And they had adopted the worship of of paganism, the pagan gods of Baal and Asherah, but they had left true worship behind. And you see, you and I are designed for worship. And so, it, so always, always ask yourself this question, am I worshiping God? Am I worshiping Him? You say, well, pastor, you did notice that we're here today, but that's not exactly what I mean. Worship is more than showing up. Worship is about showing up and lifting up. They built this altar to the Lord their God. They tore down the pagan ones. They built the altar back, really, to the Lord their God. That was a specific and designated place to worship. By the way, have you ever had somebody say something like this? Well, I don't need... To a church building or place like that to worship. You ever heard that before? I, I don't need that. I can, I can, I can worship. I, I worship out in nature and all of that. Now look, look. If we don't need designated places like this to worship, why were they told to build a temple? Why were they told to have a tabernacle that traveled with them? Why did they develop, when they went into pagan lands, they developed the synagogues and brought them back into Israel? Why, why, if we don't need designated places, why are they told to build an altar? Oh, God, we'll, we'll tear down those pagan altars, but we don't need an altar to you because we can, we can just walk around out here and worship. Now, Having said that, 
let me also say you can sit in a worship a designated worship space and fail to worship and 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 that's why jesus said god is a spirit and those who worship must worship him in spirit and truth but there are places where hopefully we encounter him on a completely different kind of level we prayed this morning, our staff prays, God, let, the presence of, let your presence fall on this campus. Let it fall in the parking place, in the seats. Let it fall in the classrooms, in the hallways. Let people know that the presence of the living God is in this space that has been constructed for His glory. You see, we need spaces to worship, but just because you enter a space doesn't mean you'll worship. So you decide whether or not you're going to worship. God calls us to spaces and places, but you and I decide whether we'll truly worship. William Temple, the renowned Archbishop of Canterbury, defined worship as the submission of all of our nature to God. So when you come in this place, are you saying, God, I, I, I'm here to worship. I am, I am surrendered. I've submitted myself to you. He says it's the quickening of our conscience by His holiness. It is the nourishment of the mind with the truth uh, of God. It is the purifying of the imagination of who, just who He is and how beautiful He is. It is the opening of the heart to His love. It is the surrender of our will to his purpose by the way i've read this story many times maybe you have too i've studied it i've pe preached it a few times in in four decades but i want to tell you this i i, I thought about something I, I don't think i'd ever thought about before and that is isn't it interesting that before gideon would take on the midianites because he would eventually take on the midianite army you remember that how he came to you know select god showed him how to select who would be and he ends up going up against thousands with 300 men this is all before that and i got to thinking what's going on here before gideon would take on the midianites in a battle the first thing god called him to do was get rid of paganism out of his life and before he would go and engage them, restore worship to the only true God. Isn't that interesting? So before, you, before God tells him to go out and fight, first things first. First things first. You've got to get the paganism out and reestablish worship to the God. That's the first thing. And I think there's a reminder for us in that. I think it is that worship comes first. Worship comes first. And then service. We're doing connect and serve. And if you haven't connected to serve, I hope you will. And there's instructions. And you've heard about it for several weeks now. And we'll continue for a little while longer with that emphasis. But first, worship. And I want to tell you, uh, service and obedience are the product of worship. I get a glimpse of God. I, get, I, get, uh, uh, I submit my heart to God, and guess what happens? Then I want to serve Him. And so, and so we must lift up God through our worship. And then number four, to do big things for God, we must follow up. Verse 27 says, and he did as the Lord had told him. This is a lesson of faithfulness. This is all about faithfulness. It is following through 
following through with God is essential in our service to him. Max Licato tells a story uh, in his book, God Came Near, about um, Norman Geisler. Norman Geisler, some of you may recognize that name, Norman Geisler has been perhaps the leading apologist and defender of the faith, in, uh, especially in academic circles, for a good part of the 20th century and early into the 21st century. And Max Lucado tells a story about how when Norman Geisler was a child, he went to vacation Bible school because he was invited by one of the neighborhood children where he lived. And he went back as a result of that vacation Bible school, he went back to the same church for Sunday school classes for 400 Sundays. Each week, he was faithfully picked up by a bus driver. Week after week, he attended church. But listen, he had never made a commitment to Christ. Finally, it was during his senior year in high school, after having been picked up for church over 400 times, that he gave his life to Christ. Lucado asked this question, what if that bus driver had given up on Geisler at 395? What if the bus driver had said, this kid is going nowhere spiritually? I'm not going to waste any more time or gasoline picking him up. What if he had said that? Thank God he didn't. You know, a lot of people start well. They just don't finish well. They... uh, they, they get a good start out and everything looks good, but they just somewhere along the way, they just, they just pull out, pull away, stop, or turn around. Take, for example, Saul, the first king of Israel. Nobody started better than Saul. He started out humble. He was hiding. They had to go, they had to go find him because he was hiding He started well, humble. The Bible says on uh, several occasions that the Spirit of God rushed upon him and he prophesied. He was like one of the prophets, they said. Is Saul now become a prophet? And God used him to bring victory to, to Israel. Saul had such a remarkable start. But the same Spirit that rushed upon him, we're later told, departed from him with this additional statement, and he didn't even know it. And we know then he became this kind of evil evil emperor chasing David who loved him dearly, trying to kill David. He started well. He finished horribly. Or maybe you could look at somebody like the Apostle Paul who also started out as a Saul, He started out bad. His mission, and Paul was brilliant, by the way, he was rising among the ranks of the Pharisee higher than any of his predecessors, he said. He was brilliant. But Paul, his mission was, and he thought he was doing God a service, his mission was, I'm going to take the church out. They're the enemies of of the kingdom of God. That's what he thought. He was a Pharisee. He probably was responsible for taking the life of godly, saintly Stephen. What a horrendous start 
Until one day on the Damascus Road, the Spirit of God blinded him. And Jesus spoke to him and said, Saul, Saul, what are you doing? And the scales fell from his eyes. And you know the rest of that story, right? As Paul Harvey used to say, the rest of the story. You know the rest of that one. And most of the New Testament was written by him. The great mission and everything that took the go. You and I, listen to this. You and I are a product of the mission work of the Apostle Paul. I'd say he finished pretty well. And that's why at the end of his life, he said, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. He said, but it's okay because he said, I have fought the good fight. I've kept the faith. I have finished the course laid out for me. And now there's a crown of righteousness awaiting me. That's a pretty good finish, isn't it? To a bad start. There was Peter. You remember Peter? Oh, Lord, if everybody else denies you, not me. I'm Peter. I'm the rock. Remember, you even told me that. I'm the rock. I won't deny you. Three times in 24 hours. You know what Jesus said? Peter, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you. And when you, not if you, and when you are restored, strengthen your brothers. And Peter would go on, like Paul, to finish well. Eventually dying as a martyr, upside down on a cross, he said, I don't deserve to die like my Savior did. Don't crucify me upright. I'm not worthy to be crucified like my Savior. He finished pretty well. You see, we have to follow up. Be faithful to the end. Now, I don't know where, where you are. I don't know where you started. But if you started well, then make sure you finish well. But if, you, if your start wasn't so good, I want to tell you this morning. I want to encourage your heart with something. I want to let you know you can change the way you finish. Now it is important for all of us about how we finish, right? We can't undo there. But we can make sure we cross the finish line one day, whenever it is, successfully. Can't we? That's the important lesson of faithfulness. Be faithful. Be faithful all the way to the end. And here's the last thing I share with you. We learn from this story also that if if God's going to do big things through little people, we must be covered up. And we didn't read these verses. I referenced them. We didn't read them. Just look at one of them. Verse 34, if you will, look at verse 34. It says, but the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. The Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon. Well, the lesson here for us is on the importance of being filled with the Spirit of God. Um, Gideon was reluctant, as we said at the beginning. He was reluctant to step up. He, he felt unqualified. He, we know he was afraid because we're told that. 
But God reassured him that he would be with him and that God would empower him for what God was instructing him. And the fact is, I talked about it last week in my message, you cannot ultimately succeed as a believer without being filled or the term here, I love this term in verse 8, clothed. It means to be completely covered. Think about the Spirit of God clothed them. He was covered by the Spirit of God. What God told Gideon to do could only be accomplished by the power of God operating through him. This has always been the case. Whatever God put you here for can only be accomplished through the power of His Holy Spirit operating in your life. You may feel like Gideon. You may feel insignificant or small in the big picture of God's purposes. You may feel insignificant. You may feel little. And and at times we can believe the kind of the narrative of the world that we are just kind of little people. You know, God's doing this big thing, but but we're kind of little people. There are little roles, and, 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 but they're little roles to us. They're not little roles to God. In fact, the things that we often think are just small in the grand scheme of things are actually, I think, big and supernatural to God, which is why you need supernatural power. There are things like this, being a godly father or mother. That may, in the grand scheme of the world, seem like a little thing. It's big to God. It's big to God. It's one of the greatest God-given responsibilities that an individual parent has. Why is it? You are the greatest influence your children will ever have. Our grandsons are leaving today. They're headed back to Nashville. They're probably on the road now. One of my oldest grandson uh, now asks all the why questions. Why, 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 Pops? Why, why, Pops? Why, why, why? And now my go to response is ask your dad, dad. <laughs> but you know what? If he said it once, he said it, he said it 15 times over the last four days. He'll, we'll be sitting together and he'll say, Pops, how much do you love me? And I say, well, I I love you more than I can describe. And then he says, what is that? And trying to to show, this is how much I I love. This is, why? Because the greatest, I told him this, I said, I love you as much as I could describe to him. And, And then I said, but did you know there is somebody that loves you even more? So he says, who? And I said, it's Jesus. Now, if his, and his mom and dad tell him that too. And if his mom and dad and his grandma and grandpa don't tell him that, who's going to tell him? The world's not going to tell him that. You see that that seems like a small thing, but it's big to God. I'll tell you another one of those small, big things to God. It's your vocation. Do you ever think about what you do is holy to God? You say, no, I just think about, you know, there's a song years ago that said, working for the weekend. I'm just thinking about getting through. If you knew who I had to work for, 
if you knew how unfair my, my company is, if you knew how difficult the people around, if you knew how they were and everything, you would know that it's hard to call my place of work a holy place. I'm telling you to make it in your life a holy place. This is the place where I can glorify God. It seems like a little thing or you may feel like a little person but you have an opportunity for God to do a big thing there or how about just the fellowship of the believers you have an opportunity when you come here to bring encouragement to people that you may not even realize are discouraged. You, may, you know, we prayed this morning, we prayed this. Lord, help, eat, whether it's in the hallways, where, classroom, wherever it is, help our words to be encouraging to someone. That we don't even know what's going on in their life. Help us. That's what, the, this is how they will know you are my disciples, by your love for one another. It is, you may say, well, I'm just one person. This is a big church. I'm just one person. And out of all of these people, I don't care. This is a big thing that God is doing. And you are part of it. And God wants to use you. Maybe it's being a husband or a wife. Men and women of God. Men. It may feel like a small thing. Or you may feel like small in the process. But I want to tell you that you have been called to be a spiritual leader in your home. You're to be, you have been called to be like a priest in your own family. And ladies, you have been called to be a spiritual motivator. Motivating your family for God. Living for God. You see, these roles and responsibilities, this isn't all of them, just a few examples. These roles and responsibilities are huge in the kingdom of God. For all of those that I just mentioned and more, you still need to be clothed in the Spirit of God. You say, will it make a difference? I can't make a big difference. That's a big difference. I, have you ever heard the story of the little boys walking along the seashore and there were starfish, there were hundreds of them that are washed up on the seashore. There are just hundreds and hundreds of them. It's little boys picking them up and he's throwing them back out into the ocean. He, he'll, he'll pick up another one. He'll throw it back out in the ocean. And an older man sees him doing this and the older man walks up to him and says, son, what you doing? The little boy says, I'm throwing these starfish back in the ocean. And the, the older man says, son, don't you know there's so many out here, you can't make any difference. And the little boy's holding one, and he looks at the man, and he throws it, and he says, it makes a difference to that one. <laughs> it's true. Sometimes the devil will say to you, you can't make any difference. You just remember, it made a difference to that one. That's a big thing. Hello? That's a big thing for God. God never gives us responsibilities without giving us the gifts we need, the abilities that enable us, and the power to carry them out. God hadn't thrown you into the deep end of the pool and said, I hope you figure it out. Find your way out. No, he loves you. He's equipped you. He's provided the power that you need to do his will. How do I know that? I know because of what Peter said. First Peter, listen to this. His divine, listen, this 
This verse I'm about to share with you had a dramatic impact on my life early in my ministry. When you feel inadequate, listen to what Peter writes. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Do you get that? You know what Peter said? He says that you have everything you need given to you by God as a believer. Everything that you need for life and godliness, he says. The question is, are you tapping into it through the power of his Holy Spirit? It's about, it's about tapping in. Gideon teaches us some things. Not a perfect man, but a lot like us. Felt a little small, but God did some big things, eventually delivering a nation. You know what? God will do big things with your life that the world may never measure as big. In fact, other Christians may not measure as big. Don't let that be what determines how you follow God. God, in the final analysis, says that was a big thing. You didn't think it was a big thing, but I did a big thing because you did your thing. Let's pray. Maybe you're here this morning, and maybe you, you haven't started well in life, but you want to finish well. And, and finishing well means that you need to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you've never trusted him, would you call on him this morning? The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Right where you are, you can call out to him. You can say something like this, Lord Jesus, thank you for loving me in spite of who I am, because he does. doesn't matter. Thank you for loving me. And right now... I want you to become my Savior. I know I'm a sinner, but I know you died on the cross for all of my sins. So would you come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and be my Savior, my Lord, and my Master? If you'll call on him like that, he'll hear that prayer. He's promised to do that. You may be here and say, Lord, I, I feel insignificant sometimes. Lord, I want to be available. I don't always feel qualified. Now listen, if that's where you are, that's not a bad place because God can use a person that says, I'm not qualified, so I've got to depend on you, God. And so would you call out to him and say, God, would you do whatever it is in me and through me that you have designed me for? And I'll obey you. I'll listen for you. I'll step up for you. I'll obey. I'll be faithful to the end, Lord. Father, would you hear these prayers? You move in our midst right now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me for our invitation before we're gone? I'm here at the front. Staff are on the sides. Invite you to come. Use this prayer altar. Kneel before God. You're talking, praying about someone, praying for something. You need wisdom, whatever it may be. You just want to talk with God. You come use the altar. You're here this morning. You say, I prayed that prayer to trust Christ as my Savior. Would you come? Come to me. Come to one of these staff members on the aisles and just say, I called on Jesus to be my Savior. And, and, and we'll take it from there. You don't need to worry about it. We'll take it from there. And we'll help you in the next steps. What uh, what to do.